Alright guys, welcome to WanderCast where you get lost to find yourself and today we have a very special guest of Amber Lynn McDaniel. She has traveled all over across America doing climbing, backpacking and also across Europe. Amber, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, how are you? I am spectacular because I get to speak to another adventurer such as myself so that's always uh, an upside <laughs> for me. <laughs> oh shucks. So how... So tell me exactly, um, I was reading a lot of your blogs on your website, um, Always the Adventure, and I was reading about um, one of your like About Me sections about how you came from Montana. And so from, the, from Montana, how did that kind of branch out into, like where did your thirst of adventure come from per se? Um, well, I think it all has to do with growing up in a small town, you know. I grew up in this uh, tiny little town called Big Fork. Uh, we're technically classified as a village, uh, not even a town, if that gives <laughs> you somewhat of an idea. So why, um, why know, is I, it a I village? I went to high is... school and graduated with like 60 people in my class. Wow. So definitely the stereotypical, like, everybody knows everybody kind of place. Um, mm. And growing up in a place like that, you know, you just kind of have to get out. Um, so when I graduated high school, you know, I hit the ground running. I wanted to get as far away as I could. Uh, I totally lied to my mom and told her I applied to in-state schools as a backup when I hadn't. <laughs> I just was, you know, East Coast bound as far away. So I ended up going to school in Philadelphia um, mm. to a little private university called Arcadia. And they were really well known for their study abroad program, which is one of the big things that drew me to the college in the first place. Mm, okay. um, so my junior year, I went over to study at Oxford. Um, and that just kind of sparked this travel bug, and I haven't really stopped since. <laughs> I'm about to say, what what drove you to go to Pennsylvania of all places? I mean, it's it's a lot of farm fields, um, lots of uh, Amish people. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, so you know, what what was the drive to go to Philadelphia of of all places? Uh, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm gonna keep it real here. Um, the school I ended up going to gave me a lot of money. You know, I didn't come from a family with a lot of money and I didn't really want to be in debt for the rest of my life with student loans. So I applied to a lot of schools um, up in the Northeast, like New York, Pennsylvania. Um, there wasn't really any one place that I was set on, but Arcadia ended up giving me a pretty good scholarship. So that's ultimately what sealed the deal. I mean, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if, if you're going to give me money, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll, yeah, I'll definitely go to your school. <laughs> totally. Well, and, you know, now the great thing is, is now I'm, you know, not hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, you know, so I get to do all these cool things without that looming over my head. Yeah, and no, I think that's definitely a huge thing when it comes to being able to sustain that kind of lifestyle is definitely debt is a huge thing that prevents people for sure. So mm -hmm. with that, with that, um, basically grant from the school so when you can when when you finish school how did you transition from school to going on to doing other things well I mean again so when I studied at Oxford for that semester um, I spent four months that summer backpacking through Europe um, and I just loved it I fell oh, wow. in love with travel and the backpacking lifestyle so as soon as I got back to the States for my senior year, I pretty much immediately started planning another backpacking trip for when I graduated. You know, said, I don't care. I'll get my degree. I don't really care about jobs after that. I'm just going to go travel, uh, which is basically what I did. I went back to Montana for the summer after I graduated just to, you know, wait tables, save some money, do all that. Uh, and then I took off to Central and South America for six months. Mm. 
okay, wow, that's that's very significant because, uh, like, for instance, when I when I was in college and I finished college, and I put all my stuff in storage and went to hike the Appalachian Trail, I it's really hard to explain that transition period because it's it's not it's not like it. It's like a collection of different things that happened over time to the point where, like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. Was it like that, or was it just kind of like a like a decision that right then and there I was going to do it? Uh, I mean, I think it was a little bit of a collection. Um, I mean, it was, A, the fact that I just loved travel so much when I was in Europe doing it, and then coming back to the American education system after having experienced um, a different education system, I got very... Uh, I guess bitter is the best word I can think of. <laughs> about to say, uh, what, what was different? <laughs> what was different about um, England versus, you know, the States? Uh, there's so many things that are different. Um, some things I agree with and some things I don't. Um, but the biggest thing that I loved about the English education system is that, you know, I never felt like my time was being wasted. Any work that I was doing um, was absolutely crucial, necessary work and you know, my grade basically came from how hard I wanted to work. You know, you have mm. um, these tutorials there. That's what your classes are called. And you only have two to three per term. Um, so it's really rigorous work, but just for a couple classes. And you've got one tutorial every week. So you meet with your tutor one-on-one. -on -one, you've written a paper for it. And you basically defend it against, you know, this brilliant intellectual who can make you feel horrible and tear you to shreds. Um, so <laughs> however prepared you are going into that tutorial is all that matters. You know, it's not like here where they're like, oh, journal about your progress on this project. And, you know, what I came to feel like was just a lot of busy work that wasn't actually furthering my mm -hmm. education. Mm -hmm. um, so I liked that, you know, that straight cut and, you know, right to the point, just do what needs to be done. If you succeed is totally up to you mentality as opposed to we're going to hold your hand through it. Okay, so I, I definitely I definitely feel that especially we're going to go into a little bit of political but I guess American systems definitely, like especially education, definitely need to improve. But I have to ask this question. So, so when you were being criticized by another teacher, was there ever a moment where you were like, "Oh, you know, like I, I'm getting ripped right now. Like, there's, there's no way, you know." Do you ever have that moment where you're like, "Ah," oh, you know, or no at all? Oh, totally. Uh, I mean, like. Those tutorials are some of your most humiliating moments. My, so my very first one, the first term that I was there, uh, I took an ethical philosophy tutorial, <laughs> which was probably <laughs> the biggest mistake that I could have made. Oh, uh, no. ethical, ethical philosophy is so dense, and there's mm -hmm. you know a million ways and a million examples yeah, that this, you can tend it, it, conversations. It's, it's, it goes on endlessly. Yeah, so stepping into that uh, for my very first Oxford experience was just... <laughs> so brutal i mean i left pretty much on the verge of tears for like the first three weeks before oh, no. i kind of started to gain that confidence um so yeah there were totally those moments but you know you kind of step up and say all right well i can do this mm, okay well do you do you feel like that southern that hard southern outbringing g gave you the backbone for that kind of thing <laughs> i don't i'm sorry that was really like insensitive <laughs> <laughs> That's really insensitive, but <laughs> I feel like I a lot of people from the South I meet, they're they're I feel to a certain extent they are like they have a heavy backbone. Do you feel? Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I would agree. Um, but I also don't know that it's necessarily a product of my upbringing. I think that just humans in general, 
have a remarkable capability of stepping up and rising to the occasion when it matters. So, I, I mean, I think anyone in that situation could do the same thing if they so wanted. Mm-hmm. No, of course, I'm not saying that just because you're from Montana. But however, I feel like everyone is capable. It's just a matter of whether you want to, whether you want it enough, I should say. It's definitely what matters most. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So coming from England, going back to the States, what was the next step after that? Um, well, the next step was just kind of finishing school. Um, I mean, at that point, I didn't really care about the degree because I had come to terms with the fact that I wanted to travel and write for a living. And it was something that a degree didn't, you know, need. I didn't need it to get me where I wanted to be. But I had come three years. I only had one more to go. Um, so I really just like bent my head down, finished my studies for that year. Um, all the while kind of growing a little bit more discontent with this, you know, just being stationary in one place um, and dreaming of all of these things that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I feel that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I understand what that's like. And it's, and it's a very unique feeling to explain to people who don't travel in that, in that way. And I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's really hard to express it, and the only way that I can compare it to is it's like, it's like being given the true key to freedom and then going back to just kind of being locked up again. And it's weird because you real, like before it was fine, but now it's like, now it's weird because I've experienced something far greater than mm-hmm. I ever thought possible. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a really isolating feeling. Like I remember that when I came back from England and from Europe, I had all these crazy experiences. And when you're on the road meeting people of like minds and like interests, you know, you can just make friends immediately and you've got mm-hmm. all of these things in common. And then you get back and all of a sudden these people that were your friends for, you know, two and a half, three years you feel like you can't connect with them anymore. You know, they get tired of hearing the stories and they don't want to hear you mention how great Europe was anymore. And so you, you kind of start to draw further in yourself because um, you are different from what most people are like, what most people want to do with their lives. Yeah, it's it's really weird because, for instance, like you, from what I read on your About Me was you did 2,000 miles in Philadelphia to Arcadia University. Mm-hmm. And, you know... As someone who's hiked the Appalachian Trail, I know those are two very different routes. However, <laughs> but just backpacking alone and just that experience in itself, no matter what, where you're going from or where you're going to is irrelevant. However, understanding that each day you carry your own weight and each day you hike a certain amount of time and no matter how you express that, it it will never be justified in the person's mind you're explaining it to because no one will understand truly that you hiked, you know, however miles a day and you reflected on certain things in your life and reflected on certain aspects of your own personal growth and the things that you did. Like, the adventures I had and adventures you have are very different. However, they're very fundamental things that make us who we are as a person. So... Mm-hmm. To go more in depth on that, where there's certain aspects, a part of your journey, that touch you so deeply that you can reflect on to the point where it made you who you are. I mean, I think definitely. 
Um, I think one of the biggest things about my journey was just realizing, you know, how kind people can be. I think in today's world, it's really easy to get discouraged about humanity and think that everyone's really terrible. Um, but when I was traveling, you know, by myself in Europe, and I, I didn't just stick to the the really touristy places like London and Paris. Um, you know, I went into southeastern Europe into like Bosnia and uh, Bulgaria and all these places that you don't typically hear solo mm. female backpackers going. Um, yeah. <laughs> and there were some really scary moments down there. Um, I remember when I arrived into Mostar, Bosnia for the first time, my bus got in really late at night and it dropped me off. I was the only one to get off the bus in like this abandoned terminal. <laughs> I had no idea where my hostel was. So I'm like wandering around with everything, you know, that I own at that moment on my back, just like wandering these dark streets, trying to find my hostel and all these cars are driving by and whistling at me and yelling at me. And for the first time, I felt so alone and I really felt that weight of being a female backpacker. Mm -hmm. um, and I rounded this corner and there was this little lit up cafe there and there were a bunch of people inside eating. And I went inside and I had this paper with my hostel name on it and I kind of pointed to it and like looked really panicked. And everybody gathered around and they were all like discussing how to get me there. Um, and they all walked me right to that hostel. Um, uh. And I, I experienced a lot of little moments like that that just really reaffirmed my faith in humanity um, and just the capacity for human kindness. And I don't think that that's something that I've ever forgotten, and it really lingers with me even years after now. And it's, and those those little moments really do impact you. It, it's it's really small, and it seems insignificant to other people, or even to, sometimes myself. Sometimes I'm like, you know, sometimes I think to myself on the journeys that I've had. It's like, ah, oh, you know, it, it happens. But in reality, it's really impactful to experience that firsthand and be like, wow, people are much nicer than I expected. Especially mm -hmm. right now with, I feel people are very afraid of a lot of things right now, especially with a lot of fear mongering, especially with media right now. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I think you have to go, go small scale and look at people individually because as a whole, it can be so discouraging, but individually, people are good. Mm -hmm. Actually, I had a realization the other day um, when I was at work. I work as a busser right now in an Italian restaurant, and I was working with one of my buddies. And, of course, myself, I feel isolated as well about being a, a, a basically a, an adventurer, a wanderer of some sorts, and I'm kind of stuck at this moment where I'm just kind of working a, a job just to make money at the moment. But deep down, mm -hmm. I really want to have these adventures, which I will eventually. However, I was explaining, you know, to my friend who's never experienced it. And I, and I kind of had a realization in that moment. And I told him, I turned to him and said, you know, I think why I enjoyed it so much was experiencing how nice people were. And... And the only way I can explain why people were so nice is because if you take people away from their stress of normal life, like expectations, money, you know, greed, um, just like everything else, just if you remove all those things and you just put them in a place where they're basically bored, like to an extent accepted and just like not expecting of anything, just enjoying the moment, that's where true humanity kind of lies, if you will. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and he even turned to me and said, you know, like, wow, that's 
that was really insightful. And I, I, I didn't really, I didn't think I said anything really that significant. I just kind of had a realization. However, I think, in a sort of sense, I think that's, I think that's very true. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it really is. I mean, that's you know, I, it was so easy to make friends, you know, when you're out backpacking and. And even even now with kind of, you know, me butting into the van life community, a lot of the people that I've met even just so far in that, you know, when you live without all these possessions and all of these normal responsibilities, you do just become freer to, to just to just be a person, <laughs> which I know yeah. sounds really yeah. weird and overly simple, but it's true. Yeah, it's 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 very it seems like a foreign concept, but it really shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know. I'm not trying to like say how people should live. However, I do I do think simplifying your life does make that easier. In a mm-hmm. sort of sense. Um like I don't know, backpacking to me is very simplistic and very you know, get exercise, I see new things, I experience new people. Wouldn't you agree that's kind of a way to let yourself kind of be? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, um, so I, I do less of like the long distance hiking. Um, but I'm, you know, more of a rock climber and it's, it's really the same thing. Um, I just got back from a trip down to Bishop, California, where I was there for 25 days. And that's just what you do. You wake up and you carry your crash pads up to the boulders. You hang out in the sun and the cold and the wind all day and you make all these friends and you're out there, you know, bloody in your hands on the rock. And it's so pure and so simple. Um, but it's just, you know, there's, there's nothing better than it to me. Mm hmm. No, so I've I've only talked to several rock climbers, and so how did you get into rock climbing in the first place? Because I'm pretty sure like most people who start rock climbing usually don't start on by themselves. They usually know someone who's a rock climber, or they're just like, ah, oh, let me show you this thing. Because most people are just like, ah, oh, I'm just gonna climb this this you know hundred foot wall, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, there's more of that now, actually, uh, which is why we have so many accidents, uh, because it's more accessible. No, but that's uh, why so I didn't start it by myself. It's it's actually kind of a cliche story, um, how I got into climbing. Um, but, but basically, I started it right after I got back from Europe. Um, I got my heart broken completely by this guy in England. And I decided that I needed something new in my life. I needed to get over it. So I went to a friend that I worked with on campus and I knew he was a rock climber and I was like, Hey, take me rock climbing. Um, so I started doing that with him (laughs) and then, uh, months later we ended up dating and now I'm still together with him and we've done all this climbing all over the world. (laughs) But so it's a little bit of a cliche, you know, I, I started climbing, uh, sort of with a guy kind of thing, but it was always something I had wanted to do. And you're right. It is hard to just do it by yourself. You know, it's, you kind of need a mentor in rock climbing. It's just not the kind of sport that you can be like, well, let's go. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely not. It's like, it's like, um, a dog trying to be like, uh, one of those like mountain goats. Like it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not natural for a dog to stand up on the side of a cliff like straight up, it's not, it's, you know, it's not, it, ne- it needs to be guided for sure. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the sport is becoming so much more accessible, especially with, you know, the amount of bouldering gyms cropping up. Cause that's something you can go do by yourself, which, you know, I think is awesome. I think it's so great that so many people have been catching on to it. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I, I see the downsides of that too. And I think 
that element of mentorship is now missing to where people don't know the ethics of rock climbing. They don't know how to behave at crags. You know, they don't know proper leave no trace principles and things like that. So it's kind of a double-sided coin. You know, on one hand, I love that it's more accessible, but on the other hand, I kind of fear what it means for the future of the sport. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think that it's kind of a, a catch-22 when it comes to um, recreational activity and accessibility sometimes because, for instance, with rock climbing, like what, like what you said, that more people have access to it. However, they could get themselves hurt or they could not know what to do and they will actually damage the land that they're, they appreciate. Same thing with um, long-distance backpacking such as myself. Like when I'm on the Appalachian Trail or a very popular trail, um, a lot of the times it's people, they go in, you know, it's they leave trash or they don't, have proper etiquette like they they for instance they go poop like right off the trail instead of go off a little further Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of thing and it's like the trail isn't respected and like you know there's always like this trace is left behind and it's kind of like a kind of a disrespect to what it's really meant to be of just a place to go escape to and enjoy your recreational thing whatever it be trail running backpacking, rock climbing, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, the step beyond that is not only are you not respecting the place, but then eventually if the environmental condition gets so bad enough, then access gets restricted. I mean, we mm-hmm. see that at a lot of crags, a lot of, you know, hiking areas in general. Um, so then, and then nobody can go enjoy it. Yeah, it just, it just takes that person who ruins it for everybody else. I mean, what would, have you have any personal experience that you've seen, like places that have shut down from certain things like that? Um, I haven't personally been to a lot of those places, um, but I mean, there's some really significant climbing ones, like Waco Tanks down in Texas. Um, I mean, it's an iconic bouldering spot, but there are some areas that you can't go into without a guide. You know, it's gotten to that mm. point where they limit the number of people that can go in per day, and you have to be guided to go in. Um, you're limited on the number of days that you can be there in a certain period of time. See, that's unfortunate because, you know, it used to be like open and now it's like, uh, you know, you, yeah, you can't really do that anymore because people getting hurt and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it is what it is sometimes. So from what I was reading also, I know you love to go backpacking, rock climbing. Um, you said, I also read that you love writing as well. What, what inspired you to write? Uh, you know, I've been writing since long before all this other stuff. Um, you know, ever since I was a kid, I've always loved writing. Um, Same here. I, I understand and, that completely. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a really natural human instinct. And some people just like foster it a little bit more and they nourish it and they let it come out. Um, but I mean, I think everybody has the capacity to be a writer because it's really just you know, writing your thoughts. We all have them. We've all got those things buzzing in your head. It's whether you take the time to sit down and put them on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, so I've always wanted to be a writer, but I definitely kind of subscribed for a while to that. Oh, well, you can't get a BA in English. What are you going to do with that? You got to get a real degree. And so I went to college for a real degree and halfway through realized that that was a really stupid idea. So I ended up adding a new major on as a junior um, <laughs> and finished it in those two years along with the previous major that I had had. Um, so 
you know, it was, it was a little bit of a rocky road there for a while, kind of coming to terms with, yes, I, I'm going to do this and be a writer. Um, and it's still definitely a bit of a rocky road. I don't totally have it figured out yet, but it's just the world of freelance. <laughs> hey, that's, it is what it is. I must say, what, what was your major in college? Um, so well, I ended up with two. Um, I started with a psychology degree, and mm. then I added on English, so I ended up graduating with both. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I, I must say, <laughs> psychology is always very interesting to me. Psychology, writing, uh, just, I don't know, just being an overall geek in general <laughs> is my For forte. Sure. Um, but yeah, so when it comes to writing, what what do you write about mostly? Was it, is it about f- like philosophy or psychology, or is it about like own personal like poetry adventures what, what do you write about per se mostly true stuff um so i i'm a big fan of like memoir and creative nonfiction. um so most of what i do is stories of my adventures um you know i write essays for climbing magazines and stuff like that and then of course you know freelancing you also just end up taking on assignments that aren't necessarily in what you want. But I'm mostly interested in, you know, real life, true things. I don't really do a lot of fiction. I think the real world is amazing enough and gives us plenty of writing material without having to make up stuff. Oh, that's fair. What magazines have you written for? If you're allowed to say anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, So, I mean, up here I write for this local magazine that's only in print called Schwack. Um, I write for Mohawk Gear, Outdoor Project, Bivy. Um, I write for a sustainability blog called Sustainable Jungle. You know, just kind of a a, a handful of variety. <laughs> hey, that's, I mean, it's it's all a part of building brand. It's all a part of sharing ideas with the world. That's how you get out there, you know? That's how you express your true passions to the world is by writing and sharing it. Definitely. So, major props to you because, I mean, I've never written anything for a magazine. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, I mean, anybody can. You just, uh, you get rejected a lot. <laughs> but, I mean, everyone's going to try to push you down, it. right? Yeah, exactly. you gotta got to push yourself out there. For sure. Yeah, so definitely um, writing, I feel, is very important. Even if, like, some people would say, ah, you know, I'm not that good at writing or, you know, ah, I'm not that creative enough. But it's really, it's really just a process like anything else. It's just a matter of trying and just keep consistently like expressing ideas into the point where you're like oh you know I'm getting better at this I mean I didn't I started when I was younger so I'm better at writing now but I was I had dyslexia so I (laughs) I was very confused by letters in general so I I think some people are afraid to get into that kind of field What, what would you say would be the best way to get people out of that you know, I think you just got to do it. You just got to write. Um, and the biggest thing is you have to let people read what you write, which is the single hardest part. You know, I mean, mm. it's easy enough to write in a journal and keep it below your pillow and never let anyone see it. Um, but being gutsy enough to, to give it to someone and say, here, I wrote this, read it. You know, it's a big step, but it's such a crucial one. Um, and I... This is going to sound a little funny and very millennial. <laughs> okay. um, but I think social media is actually really good for it if we use it in the right way. Um, I'm a big fan of this new Instagram trend where people are actually kind of writing like these little mini vignettes in their captions and using it to say something significant, not just being like, ha look at this photo of me here. Um, I think it's a really accessible way for people to start to express that creativity 
um, pairing it with something that we're more, you know, comfortable with, something visual. We're such a visual society. Mm. Um, so Instagram was ultimately that as a platform. But now all of a sudden we're seeing all these writers kind of putting their stuff out there to go with these photos. And I think it's awesome from that perspective. Oh, yeah, for sure. I feel that having, you know, having something deep meaning with a visual photo is way better than just having a photo. However, yeah. however, Instagram is very popular just for the photo aspect because of the fact that anything that has just visual will be always more popular because of the fact that there's no ling language barrier, for instance. Mm -hmm. Like, the best way I can explain it is, for instance, like Tom and Jerry as a cartoon was extremely popular back in the day because there was no words being said. And like my grandfather, who's Portuguese, who didn't speak English loved that cartoon because it was all visual. So that's kind of like how the world is, like marketing-wise. Mm. However, if you know the language, it's very significant to understand the context of that image for sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, regardless of whether, whether your captions are understood by everyone who's viewing the post or whatever, as a writer, I think it's just significant, you know, to, to write something and to put it out there into the void. Um, so... Mm -hmm. really it doesn't matter the impact that it makes on somebody else necessarily i think it means a lot to the person who was gutsy enough to publish it oh of course yeah it's all about sharing what you care about and you know seeing how it basically grows in front of your eyes like i think that's one of the interesting things about the internet if you if you really break down like the internet is kind of just like this wild west of <laughs> content spewed out on a daily basis you never know really what you're gonna get however there's always something that comes out mm -hmm. and i think it's very interesting to see how certain people react to certain things and i feel especially nowadays i think you know as speaking from a, an american standpoint because uh, i was raised here um i see a lot of people especially growing up as millennials such as ourselves we start to realize that you know we can survive better with less things i can see that like there's a minimalistic movement kind of happening right now with like vans buses and like living off of very little minimal things do you feel Definitely. that as well oh absolutely um you know i mean it's it's for that reason that you know, you tell someone your age, like, yeah, I'm moving into a van. And they're like, wow, that's awesome. And then you tell your parents and they're like, what? You're, you're moving into a van? <laughs> um, there, it, there really is um, this just different mentality in how we were raised and what we think is possible and what we conceive of as, you know, a lifestyle, a, a successful lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think, honestly, I feel like um, in a weird way, our I don't know if it's just because of the fact that we've had, um, we're slowly getting out of a recession. We might go back into a recession soon. Um, however, I think it's the fact that being happy with little is not necessarily a bad thing. And I think that's a common thing that's growing, trending on Instagram and social media is, you know, um, with minimalistic movement. However, it's, it's not necessarily the most popular outlet. I mean, most popular outlet is mostly about um, fashion, having nice cars, etc. But I feel slowly, like, 
in a on a rise of just like van life and living simplicity is like on the rise like it did back in the 50s and 60s where like people were living in vans and stuff Mm -hmm. kind of like a second wave hippie movement if you will (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's that's probably pretty accurate yeah um and i i don't know what it is but i think i think it's coming back i really i think it is like i think another hippie movement is coming back yeah i mean we've i think our generation we've really seen the downsides of the economy and you know we, we went to school at the time where it was unaffordable and now tons of us are in debt and so we've seen firsthand that that money is a lot of times a really bad thing and a key to unhappiness as opposed to you know this key to happiness which is what our parents who you know grew up in the booming economy of the 80s and stuff you know got to experience a little bit more of um, I think we're all about you know collecting moments not things Mm-hmm. Which I've always, you know, ever since I've done the whole backpacking thing, I've always expressed that as an idea that I think is very important to really grasp is, you know, in the end of the day, like, Bill Gates is extremely famous and he has a lot of money. However, I don't know what house he has or what car he owns. However, I know what he's done. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like, what what a person does with their life is more important than what they've had. Uh, oh, absolutely. Because, like, I, I love Rob Williams, even though, like, yes, he, unfortunately, he took his own life. However, what he's done as an actor and what, you know, the happiness and laughs he's created for other people throughout you know, his films and work, it it will last forever. And that's what we appreciate from that person. I have no idea what house he has. I have no idea. I don't know where he lives. However, mm-hmm. I know what he's done. And that's what's more significant. Yeah, for sure. Even beyond that, even, you know, I, I definitely don't seek to live so that I die and people know what I've done. You know, I just... I want to know what I've done in those last moments. You know, I want to look back and say, I've done all of this, not, oh, look at this car that I had. Um, so even even less important than what other people see that you've done is just knowing yourself. And oh, being yes, of course. Oh, yeah, of course it's better to know what you've done rather than what other people see you. I was just trying to make an example um, of just, like, rather like and a kind of like a like a rough example of like cuz everyone knows the person but not know what they've had of that mm-hmm. like possession wise if you will yeah, yeah. but for the sure possessions it's are forgettable <laughs> yeah it's it's more about what what you've done and how how happy you are with the choices you've made that's more important than anything else i feel absolutely and again, it's, I'm not trying to say like, it's the perfect world. Nothing's perfect at the end of the day. You know, everyone has struggles, everyone has different lives. It's, but I feel from what I've experienced in my life so far, I think that is more significant just from so far from my understanding. I think us as travelers or other people who are like like us in some sort of way can agree upon that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's, it's funny. Um, just kind of just tailing off on that really quick. My, oh, no, my mom fine. has told me, you know, since I've done all this, she's like, you, you've seen more of the world in you know, a few years than I have ever and will ever see in my life. And that moment kind of stopped me when she said that, because I mean, for me, I feel like I've just hardly gotten started. But then to think that, you know, some people will never even see the bit that I have. Um, and that makes me really grateful for the experiences that I have been able to put myself in and to, you know, have to hold dear and look back on for the rest of my life, regardless of what happens from this point on. Exactly. It's, it's really hard to see in the moment what you've accomplished because you've experienced it. Mm-hmm. It's, that's like the hardest thing to accept about change, I feel, because you know, no matter how hard you work or what changes you've been through, you don't realize you've changed until much later, until it's all said and done, and you've reflected on it, if that makes sense. You, have you ever had that moment where you, you know, you've done something significant, however, at the end of the day, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going home, or or whatever the case may be, but there's that there's that one moment where you sit back and you think to yourself like, wow, that that really changed me. Can mm-hmm. you recall that moment? I don't know that it was any any single one moment. Um, I think change, change, exponential change happens with a lot of little things, and so I don't know that I can define like one moment where like wow that that day that moment that thing that I did changed me. Um, but I've definitely had those moments, you know, looking back and saying wow I. You know, I didn't feel myself changing over these last three months, but I really have. Um, I think South America was probably that biggest period of change for me um, because it's such a brutal and often really, really discouraging place to backpack. It's really difficult down there. And so when I got Mm. back and I was kind of reflecting and writing about all of my experiences because I felt very behind on my blog down there, so I had to catch up later. (laughs) Um, and as I was going back writing about these, you know, I would have to sit back and say, wow, wow, I, I did that. You know, I, I made it through that. Mm-hmm. So could you, could you recall certain moments where it was super difficult and later on you realized that that was necessary? Like, this is what I needed to learn. If you, if you, if you could recall. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, I think one of the hardest things I did down there, um, I hiked up along the Kilatoa Loop, which I ended up actually working at a hostel on the Kilatoa Loop in Ecuador for a month. But before I started work there, um, we hiked the track. And it's this big multi-day trek that goes through the the Andes just south of Lima. And it ends at the the big tall crater of this former volcano called Kilatoa. And now there's just this big lake down at the bottom. But that final stretch from this village of Chugchilan up to Kilatoa was so, so brutal. Um, the, the volcano's at 13,000 feet, and I'd never quite been that high in elevation before. Um, it's about a 12-kilometer hike, but it's just up and up and up. Um, the directions mm. are really confusing, and I got lost a ton of times. Um, and I was getting a chest cold, so I was just hacking really violently. And on the final ascent up the volcano, when I got an off-trail and was just slogging up all this sand, I just, like, collapsed and decided I wasn't going any further. I was like, nope, I'm going to sleep the night. 
right here in the sand. Um, and you know, my boyfriend who was with me, we were both just so, so done. Um, but somehow we decided, all right, we're, we're going to keep going. And it was just so painful. I don't think I've ever been in more physical pain in my entire life. Um, and we ended up stumbling into the village well past dark, um, you know, after having walked along this little narrow rim of the volcano in the pitch black. <laughs> no headlamps. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and so that's one of those moments that looking back on it, it was it was crazy. We should have, you know, called it, stayed lower, been safe. But I think it was it was necessary just to learn that we could endure, that I could push through all of that physical pain, all of that emotional exhaustion and reach the goal. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's really hard to explain that feeling. Like no matter how hard or how in depth you explain it, it will never be true until you've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Like that's the hardest thing about it. But it's really, it's amazing. I'm like, I'm really glad to hear it. And I would, like, I picture in my mind, like, I can see it. However, from your experience, it's totally different. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for a long, I was actually going to hike the Appalachian Trail. When I, when I was a sophomore in college, that was my plan. When I graduated, I wanted to do that. And so, I mean, I've thought about that trail a ton, you know, so much. Visualizing it, imagining what it would feel like to finish. And I mean, obviously, I've never done it, and you have. So your experience is just totally different than what I could even conceptualize it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just the that's just the weird weird world that we live in is of of perspective. It's it's just uh, like yeah, uh, I can read it, I can visualize it. However, really attempting that is very different. It's a whole new another ball game. Mm-hmm. And even even if you do attempt it, your experience will be different than the other person's will. Yep, absolutely. Like, for instance, uh, another good example of this is um, when I was hiking the Appalachian Trail, I was in Maine. And I went to my first town in Maine because um, I was hiking south. I was going from Maine to Georgia. And mm -hmm. I got to my first town of Millinocket, Maine. Sorry. Monson, Maine. Millinocket was the first town, like off trail, but on trail was Monson. Very small town, probably like 200 people, population max. But it was my first time hitchhiking. Explaining that story is different of just like first time hitchhiking and getting picked up by um, Sarah and her two little daughters and just like me in the back seat with two other female hikers is like the, is really weird to explain but like at first it, I was I was scared but then after I got picked up by a woman and two little daughters it was like oh my fear immediately went away and I was like oh this is fine like it's it's not a big deal but mm -hmm. I think the most significant part of that first day in town was really um going into my first bar with um all my hiking friends and it was open mic night at the bar, and one of the hikers was playing, um, like, Canadian folk songs, because he was from Canada. And he was making the whole bar singing along and having a good time. But, like, what's significant about that story for me was the fact that, you know, that for me in a long time, the first time in a really long time, that I was experiencing the moment, because for a long time I was kind of bombarded by school and expectations and a lot of other things in my life 
and I was the first time I was really enjoying the moment instead of being worried. And I actually got teary-eyed from that moment, and it was a very powerful moment. But that's that's the thing about having that moment. Like, for instance, for you, climbing that mountain will be totally different than, you know, the other people around me in that bar experience something totally different. And that's just, that's just the crazy world we live in. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You can be having this life-changing experience, and everyone else is just going about their business. Mm-hmm just a moment that they'll never remember the next morning and it is really funny but I know I kind of uh, spieled off for a bit <laughs> I'm sorry I don't mean to like talk for too much but I just felt like that was a really important point to make no absolutely <clears throat> so after that whole journey um so what are you doing currently right now if I you're doing the van life thing uh I'm on the road to van life <laughs> Um, so you mentioned earlier that, you know, investing tables, you know, saving up, um, you know, we all have those moments, I think as adventurers when we're like, yeah, oh, I'm only doing this right now, but that's what you don't see on the Instagrams is that's the hard work <laughs> behind the adventures that mm -hmm. that's the necessary work. So I'm kind of in the same boat now that I got back from my climbing trip. Um, I'm back here in Alaska for, you know, the next eight ish months approximately. Um, and basically the plan is to just work super hard, you know, work multiple jobs, save up a bunch of money, finish building the van. Uh, it's about halfway done right now and then take off at the end of the summertime. So realistically, I know the next like eight months aren't going to be filled with all these adventures, but it's what needs to happen to make that a reality. Yeah. Like I think, I think that's actually, I was just talking about this recently, how a lot of those adventure blogs, those van life blogs, the backpacking vlogs, they only show the beautiful side, the, you know, the cookie cutter, like, ah, here I am on, you know, at this place doing this fun thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. However, they don't get to really see what actually went to taking that photo or like what the amount of hard work it took to live the lifestyle that you've had. Mm hmm. It's like, that's like the biggest thing I want people to understand about the van life community is I think so many people outside it say like, oh, you just have a free and easy life must be really nice to not have to work and stuff. <laughs> like, that's absolutely not true. It's so much work. And the people that I know that live in their vans, you know, they work so hard and it's all about hustling and making little bits of money wherever you can, um, all to make that dream a reality. Mm hmm. I'm about to say, I was just talking about this today, um, uh, my stepfather was talking about how he knows a van life person. I'm not going to disclose their name. However, they work really hard. Like sometimes they'll he'll post a photo of him on the beach with his laptop, but in reality, like he's working 16 hours, like you know, doing his own personal business, trying to save up money so he can survive <laughs> for the month. Mm -hmm. And that's just like the reality is far different than what people see and and it's it's really weird to explain that to people is like i like you work that hard like yeah like they those people work extremely hard to survive and live a free lifestyle even sometimes so much so that at first when they first start doing it they work so hard that they don't really enjoy it for a while until later mm -hmm. that, that's just how it is yeah, it's, and you know, van life in general, just like the lifestyle itself is, is hard work in a, in a weird way. We're so used to all these 
modern luxuries, you know, like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Let me just go down to the toilet. And then you live in a van and you're like, oh, to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Let me fumble for my headlamp and stumble outside into the freezing cold and get my, get my shovel and all this stuff. And so all these little things that you don't think about become little chores. Um, so it's all just a matter of, you know, what you're willing to make sacrifices on um, to live the way that you want to do. And yeah, it's, it's all about personal comfort and what you're willing to put up with. I mean, van life, backpacking, traveling, it's all a matter of what you're what you're comfortable with however i do think that people can adapt very well it's just a matter of whether they want to or not because mm-hmm. i mean for instance not I, personally i actually enjoy pooping in the woods i don't know about you but <laughs> no i do absolutely <laughs> it's really weird to explain that to people like what like you like pooping outside why it's like why not i mean you get to literally go outside pull your pants down and like no one gets to see like you just be naked out in the woods and just poop like no one cares (laughs) and like you get to see a beautiful view while you poop like it's just like amazing and if you know what's a bonus is that you find a fallen down dead tree and you just dig a hole and it's like it's like sitting at home you just sit on a (laughs) dead tree and poop and it's like amazing it is Yeah, no, when, it, when it's all right, it's very satisfying. I totally agree with it's that. It's super and satisfying. And then, of course, then a car drives by uh, unexpectedly or something, and you're ducking behind the sagebrush. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's, like, it's like explaining, like, um, I don't know, just people think it's like, oh, you guys live like savages. I mean, like, to me, in my mind, I feel like a savage, but deep down, I'm like, I'm an adventurer. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just I'm just doing what I gotta do. Leave me alone. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you definitely you definitely develop a sense of uh, shamelessness. I think. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Like after a while, you're just like, you know, like I just fuck. I just I just hiked like ten miles, like ten sorry, not ten miles, but ten hours. Like I don't give a shit right now. I'm gonna go in the woods and poop. Like I don't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I smell. I smell awful. What? Like, I, I, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, it's such. A, it's such a free moment too when you just decide you don't care what people think. <laughs> so when I got back from South America, I was uh, waiting tables at this restaurant in Philly for a little bit, and we had this um, dessert presentation tray. I don't know if the restaurant you work at has it, but it's literally like a sample of all of your desserts that the restaurant serves made up on a tray, and you go around the tables at the end, and you're like, oh, would you care for one of our desserts, blah, 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 selling things, you know. <laughs> well, these so these trays were made up fresh at the beginning of the day and then thrown away at the end of the day. So I would take these desserts off the tray at the end of the day because they were just going into the garbage, and everybody I worked with thought it was so disgusting. I was like, you're going to eat that? It's been sitting out all day. And I was like, man, I just got back from South America where, like, buying food in restaurants was probably more sketchy and suspect than this cheesecake sitting right here. Yeah, it, do- it doesn't matter at the end. Like, it's it's so hard to explain that to people who don't understand, like, for you know, for instance, like, explaining, um, like, genuine hunger to people is so weird because, like, when I, for instance, when I was on the Appalachian Trail, like you're, like you're always hungry all the time. You're never like fully full. And the hyper hunger. That's yeah. What they call it, right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's so it's insane, and for instance, 
I'll explain how insane it is for, uh, I'll share a story. So, uh, it's not going to be long. However, so there was a really short time where me and my friends, we were, I think we, we were in Virginia and we decided, you know, we were, we were just got done hiking like a, a nine, I would say a nine hour day. So we were just like laying in the shelter and we we're just like super tired. And my buddy looked at the guidebook and he, and he, and he sees like, guys, there's a Chinese buffet in the next town. If we hike 28 miles before, before, before <laughs> five o'clock, we can get to the, we can get the lunch special for $5. <laughs> and we were like, hell yeah, let's go. Like we didn't think twice. Like we went to bed early. We woke up at 6 a.m. We packed our shit and we just booked it. We hiked as fast as we humanly possibly could. I mean, I was hiking at least 3.5 miles an hour. I was hiking as fast as I possibly could, sweating putridly. Like I made it there at that Chinese buffet at three o'clock, and I sat my happy ass down. I put my backpack <laughs> down, and I grabbed so much food, and I ate it. <laughs> like, I grabbed, like, at least five plates of food for $5, and I was the happiest person on the planet. No one will understand that, but I do, and it was amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, it was the best, it was one of the best moments. It was highlight. <laughs> That oh. sounds fantastic. <laughs> I'm gonna say, have you ever had those like, I don't know, I like to call them tr like trash moments. Like you're you're such like you're such a degenerate and such a hippie that you're willing to like do something outrageous to do something so simple. <laughs> have you ever yeah. had that moment? Totally. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of the best one. I, uh, so one, we took a big road trip once uh, all across like the western United States going to different national parks and we were living um, either in like a tent or in my little 1999 Toyota Camry um, oh. and one time we went so long without a shower and we felt so disgusting that we decided the Colorado River was the best place to bathe ourselves so hey. we bathed ourselves and then got out just like covered in all of this like red dirt and mud and we were like yeah that totally worked we feel much better <laughs> <laughs> see like it's it's those little it's those little moments where you're like you know this this is better than this so let's just let's just do it like it is <laughs> it's uh it's it's those little things that really keep you going it really is and the there's the little moments too that you look back on and you laugh about and you're like wow those are the little things that make it all worth it all of the type 2 fun <laughs> yeah exactly i mean and and you felt better about it that's the thing Oh man. So, um we're we're getting close to the end of our of our podcast. Um I always ask this question to every guest and I feel like you can have a great take on this. So to everyone who's listening, to anyone who's seeking advice on life, on travels, or whatever the case may be, what's your best advice on really going after what you want out of life or just certain just certain like advice tips that you have for really going for what you want you know just just do it uh stop saying you know oh i wish i could do that or 
I'll be happy when I get to this point, you know, just do it. I hear it so often now that I'm building a van, I'm going to move into it like, oh, I wish I could do that. Well, sit yourself down and ask why you're not, you know, what's really stopping you? Do I have any less bills than you? Do I have any, you know, fewer responsibilities? Maybe a few, but really in the end, if you want it bad enough, you'll make it work. Um, I think pulling the trigger is just the biggest thing you can do. Uh, we live in a society where we want to plan everything out and make it, you know, really flow together nicely and this big adventure, it's just gonna happen one day, but it's not gonna happen if you don't make it happen. You know, for us, it was, yeah, we're gonna buy a van. <laughs> we're gonna do it one day. And then all of a sudden we just went to the dealer and we bought a van. And all of a sudden we had this big, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars of investments sitting in our driveway staring at us and we couldn't really ignore this anymore. Um, you know, and that is probably oversimplifying it, but I just don't know that there's a better answer. Uh, if you want to change your life, you just have to be brave enough to do it. You know, and whatever that means, whether it means, you know, quitting your job to go hiking the trail or, or buying a van or booking plane tickets to Europe, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Just buy something, do whatever it takes to where you can't go back on it. Because then, then it'll happen. If you can't take that step backward, you have no choice but to move forward. Mm -hmm. I think I agree with that 100%. And I think eliminating all excuses and eliminating all your obstacles and just saying, this is what I'm doing no matter what. And no one and nothing is going to stop me. I think that separates the doer rather than the dreamer, if you will. Yeah, you, you really don't need to have it figured out. That's what I want to tell all of these, you know, dreaming adventures. You don't have to have it figured out because those of us that are living that lifestyle still don't have it figured out. <laughs> we really don't. Yeah, like... <laughs> uh, you know, problems come up all the time and you're like, well, didn't see this coming. Guess I got to deal with it now. And you do, you know, you rise to the occasion and you get over it and then you stumble into the next problem and the process repeats, but you are ultimately moving towards that life that you want. Mm -hmm. Persistence for sure. Well, Amber, it's been a delight having you on the podcast and I really hope everything goes well with your van. Um, say <laughs> hello to Chris for me and you've been a great, great host. So I just want to do a closing statement. Thank you guys for listening to WanderCast. And where you get lost to find yourself, I'm your host, Maddie Wander. And I hope that you take this advice, change your life. I love you guys. Peace out.